0: Today's episode of Lions of Liberty contains a little bit of adult language and a whole lot of fun. So, hi, the kids. Grab yourself a drink and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your
0: shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, my Liberty Lions. To another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. It's one you've been waiting for. That's right. Everyone's been clamoring for our post-election roundtable. And it's finally here for you today in this, the 263rd episode of this program, which means you can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 263. Now, guys, with the 2016 election behind us, there's going to be a lot of people out there looking for answers. Looking for solutions, asking questions, looking for a place to turn, and hopefully libertarians like us have the answer. Now, I know we're your favorite libertarian program out there, but there are some other great ones that you might want to turn your friends to when they're looking for answers. And they finished their full Lions of Liberty indoctrination. After that, you can send them over to our good friends, Johnny Adams, Heather Nixon, Kurt Nelson at the Johnny Rocket Launchpad, as well as our man Roger Paxton. With the Lava Flow podcast, he really gets into the nitty-gritty. And of course, you've got to check out our friends Chris Spangle, Greg Lentz, and company over at We Are Libertarians. They have an excellent post-election roundtable themselves. So as soon as you're done with this one, maybe you can go check that one out too. But enough about everybody else. It's time, finally, to bring in my fellow Lions of Liberty brethren here. My pride of Lions, I might call you guys. I'm going to start using that term. Work a little little animal metaphor symmetry in here. My pride of liberty lions are going to join me to finally discuss not just the 2016 election, but everything that that's been going on in the, in the last week afterwards. And I'm glad we kind of had a few days to to unwind and just kind of take it all in because it's been it's been a a, a really crazy week. Uh, we're going to start off bringing in Lions of Liberty co-founder, the host of the weekly Felony Friday, my man. I know you've been waiting for this for a while, John John Odermatt from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What's up?
1: Yeah, man, it's been a uh, been an exhausting week or six days, whatever it's been since the election. I know we talked about it a little bit on the um, the last Felony Friday episode, but yeah, it's just uh, it's been crazy. Liberals are losing their mind. They've lost their mind.
0: All right. And, uh, you know, I always forget to say what I'm drinking. I'm a little embarrassed. So first, I'm going to see what you're drinking and see like how the embarrassment scale works there, because you've been drinking some kind of <laughs> some kind of fruity stuff lately. Not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: Yeah, the thing is, I normally drink beer, but like whenever we have these podcasts, these tables, I never have any beer in my fridge, so I'm, I'm drinking another one of the uh, the first name alcohol, uh, first first name malt beverages, a a Jack's hard cider. So
0: Jack's hard cider, all right, it's delicious though. So you it's are delicious. still on the fruity drink bandwagon.
1: Yeah.
0: How is that Jack's hard cider delicious? It's a it's it like, good. Is it a it's strong good. drink, the Jacks?
1: No, well, I mean it's like five percent, so that's like standard, I guess. It's not weak. It's got a little nice, a little nice bite to it. It's tasty.
0: All right. So before I bring on our next guest, who I, I'm pretty sure is going to have a uh, a slightly a slightly stronger drink than either of us, I'm just guessing. I don't know, um, but I'm actually drinking. And please don't judge me for this. Um, I haven't really been out buying liquor lately. And uh, the lady had some people over last weekend, and it was using this as an element of a drink she was making, but. I'm actually drinking Fireball, Fireball whiskey on the rocks, (laughs) delicious cinnamon flavored whiskey on the rocks that I don't recommend drinking in in mass quantities because you will get a hangover because there's a lot of sugar in
1: this. You should just be taking shots of it, really. Just like every 10 minutes, just take a shot of Fireball. Who says says who's the only way to drink?
0: Maybe I'm doing that, too. Never going to know. All right. Let's let's see if my prediction was correct. Let's bring in the man that I like to refer to as the godfather of Lions of Liberty. Because he's the guy that introduced me to the ideas of liberty. Mr. Howie Snowden from Leesburg, Virginia.
2: Hey, Mark, I am not drinking something stronger than you. I thought since Trump's president now, we all have to drink yingling. Wasn't that one of his mandates?
0: There's a lot of mandates, I think, that (laughs) that came from Trump. I didn't hear the yingling one. But
2: But also, you might want to watch out that fireball wasn't there recently. Like they find like antifreeze or something in it.
0: Ah, I
1: I think that's all propaganda. Yeah, Probably. It's just a touch of antifreeze just for the taste. (laughs) It's delicious.
0: (laughs) And lastly, but not leastly, I've got to bring in our resident Frenchman. I'm always going to call you that. I don't care how long you live in America, even if it's your whole life. Your resident Frenchman, J.B. Lubin from the uh, City of Brotherly Love.
3: Yes, and it is my entire life. I was born in Brooklyn on a hot, sultry night in 1983, okay? <laughs> you, I'm even, 100% you even know what the weather was American. like. You even know oh, what the w- weather was like. It was July 24th. I'm sure it was hot outside. All
0: right. And, it doesn't and take,
3: sultry. It doesn't take much for, it, foresight for that. All right, J.B. Uh, uh, hello, everyone. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. Always I'm a looking pleasure. forward to this discussion. So,
0: What uh, What are you drinking while you're wait, looking forward to this discussion? You've been priming the pump there? Priming the old brain? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, I've been having a little bit of the escalon, you know, tequila reposado on ice, uh, nice and simple, you know. So I think
0: JB clearly wins for most manliest drink. I, I don't think there's any question here. Is that anyone gonna put up a fight there? Not that not that Yingling is not manly, but it's not extra hey, manly. It's,
2: it's perfect for hardworking Pennsylvanians.
0: <laughs> you're more the blue collar kind of uh, <laughs> stiff drink, not really stiff, but you're like the blue collar guy. The uh, maybe the the Sanders Trump vote, and JB is like kind of more the the elitist here. You're like yeah, a, I'm a, like, uh, you're the Clinton vote,
1: the
3: smug Clinton vote. I'm the fancy city slicker with his foreign liquor, you know. It's <laughs>
1: more like the the Bill Weld vote, I would I would say. Oh come Ooh, on. yeah. Oh come on. That's just mean. That's just
3: cruel. <laughs> You take that back,
0: OK? <laughs> Should we get in our licks before we move on? Because, you know, Brian and Rico, they covered the end of the Gary Johnson campaign on Monday's episode. Be sure to click back in your feed and listen to that, episode 262. Um, and we're going to focus on the actual election here, which, as we know, doesn't really involve Gary Johnson. Um, although it does to some extent. He did get, which I know you're going to hear this a lot in the next four years, he did get by far the most number of votes a libertarian candidate's ever gotten. I think it's over four million at this point um so you know i think you're gonna hear a lot of you know we did great we did a great job we brought in a guy who like got way more votes than any other libertarian in history uh i'm not sure if there's they didn't hit that five percent for the federal funding which i think is a good thing i mean not that they not that i wouldn't want them to get more votes necessarily but i i, I think the funding issue would be a difficult one and uh you know i think in, in certain states he did achieve more than five percent so hopefully ballot access will be easier in a few states uh at the end of the day though uh how do you guys quickly grade the Gary Johnson campaign on a, a scale from F to A?
1: I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to grade it because, I mean, a lot of people did vote libertarian, but probably a lot of those people that voted libertarian were just doing it because they hated Trump and Clinton so much and they won't even, you know, look into libertarian ideas any further. Uh, but with that being said, you know, I can't give it an F because, you know, he did get, you know almost 4 million votes which is which is a good thing i think at least from a perception standpoint it's a good thing to show a uh, a third option that is that is growing and getting larger so i'll give him a d i'll give him a d because really he did an awful job communicating the ideas of liberty and you know i say this with there's lots of people that that we all know we have mutual friends that have been turned on to liberty through gary johnson which you know, it's hard for me to imagine how that happens, but he, maybe he is that just the tip, as they say. So I'm, I'm conflicted. I'll give him a D. I, I think his campaign was was pretty terrible, as we've covered extensively on this uh, on this podcast.
0: Howie, as the godfather, as someone who's seen more libertarian presidential campaigns as a libertarian than any of us, since you were you were. I mean, you were following it way back and even when Harry Brown was running in 2000. I think you were even a libertarian back then. So you got us all beat on on how long you've been <laughs> really watching these campaigns. So what's your perspective on the Gary Johnson campaign? And I think it's fair to relate it to the other campaigns we've seen. Bob Barr, Michael Eric. Let's not act like it's been all roses here. So, yeah, uh. and
2: I mean, not everybody can be Harry Brown or Ron Paul. But and I, I want to give this campaign an F because – I mean, this was the best opportunity we ever had, and I thought they did a terrible job. Johnson's awful communicating the ideas of liberty, his his gaffes, like, did he not prepare for this since the last election at all, or get ready on foreign policy or anything, or have simple answers to the obvious questions they're going to ask any libertarian, plus the, the fact that Weld has just got awful, hopefully he's drummed out of the party, If he, I'm sure he'll probably just leave on his own, but I mean, he's a complete traitor to the cause, and I can't – I mean, and Gary, by association for bringing him in, I hope he never runs for anything as a libertarian again. But the reason I'm not going to give them an F and I'm going to give them a D like Odie is – I mean, I'd like to say that when with people hating Clinton and Trump this much, anybody could have done that well. But that's not true. The Green Party didn't. They did way better than the Green Party. So for that, I'm going to give them a D. But – I hope to never see either of them on a major libertarian party ticket again or Weld having anything to do with libertarianism.
0: All right. A a stunning rebuke for Bill Weld from how he's known it. I can't really say it's stunning. An expected rebuke. (laughs) (laughs) JB, what are your thoughts? This might actually be uh, depending on where you draw the line um on on your uh, I don't know, your ideological conversion, this might be really the first libertarian campaign you've ever seen from the perspective as a libertarian. You might count Gary Johnson 2012, I'm not sure, but but uh either way, Gary Johnson's your guy. So, how would you grade what you've seen from Gary Johnson as a libertarian candidate?
3: Well, I didn't vote for Gary in 2012, but I was on the fence at that point if you could remember. I did vote third party though. I Voted for Jill Stein, believe it or not. So I was already leaning. I was already going down that hill, sort of speak. You and Jesse Ventura, the big Stein yeah, supporters already, around here. Yeah, I had already broken the dichotomy at that point, but I didn't vote for Gary. I wasn't a full fledged libertarian yet. But as far as Gary's campaign in 2016 is concerned, I would have to give him a D. I won't give him an F because you know I don't think he failed completely. Considering you know he did pretty well, and despite the fact he didn't act any way, shape or form like a true libertarian throughout the entire campaign. He did at least put the name out there and had some people thinking and maybe they will go out and read some more and see, you know, what it means to be an actual libertarian. And you might educate some folks to the fact that Gary did well. So I'm not going to fail him. And especially since he did, he did pretty well. Um, He got about, what, 3% of the vote. Yeah, I mean, throughout the country,
0: I think they're still doing the official tallies, but it's somewhere between three and four percent. I think it'll turn. Yeah, out to
3: be. and New Mexico, he almost got ten percent of the vote, which, of course, is his home state. But still, even as a third party, it's still pretty impressive.
2: Does anyone know. know how uh, Evan McMullen did in his home state?
3: Uh, uh, he, I do not remember. He, I, I, I I'm guessing, he, a
2: lot better than Gary Johnson did in New Mexico.
0: He. Uh, I'll pull up the final numbers in a minute, but I, I know he I, he he finished after way after Trump, and people were saying that he could he could possibly beat Trump
3: and oh, and Gary got six point three percent in North Dakota too, and he's not from there, so there you go. That's almost ten percent too if you want to fudge it a little bit if you round off six point three <laughs> that's pretty much ten percent as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So he did all right, and hopefully some people who are had their heads turned by Gary's campaign might look a little bit more into libertarianism and you know the movement will spread.
1: So in the in the state of Utah, Evan McMullen got twenty-one percent, hundred eighty-nine thousand, one hundred and fifty-four votes. I think of this with eighty-nine percent reporting, so still eleven percent out. Gary Johnson three percent twenty-nine thousand nine hundred twenty-one votes. So McMullen spanked Johnson.
0: <laughs> oh Egg McMuffin.
1: It probably actually happened. He actually probably really spanked him.
0: All right. Well this is tough because i'm so used to having to be the one harder on gary johnson in in a conversation not really our conversations but when i'm out there talking to other libertarians out there on facebook and and the social media and even in in real life so believe it or not there are people that know a lot about gary johnson and that's one thing that some credit needs to be given i mean i can't tell you how many people i work with all of whom are clinton supporters i'm in california come on um Made jokes. Now look, a lot of it might have started with Aleppo, but people know who Gary Johnson is, and I don't even think I could say that four years ago. Now I don't know if that's a great thing. Like, does it matter if people know who Gary Johnson is, or does it matter if people know about the ideas of liberty? And those (laughs) seem like they might be different things. Um, But there is at least awareness that I think that Gary Johnson created that there are third parties and that there are real human beings that support them and that are going to vote for them, And that if you want their vote, it's not just going to you're not going to scare them into voting for somebody else. And I think that's important because I got a lot of that argument from people. I work with. Well, if you just vote for Clinton, well, guess what? People like me are never going to vote for someone like Clinton. So, if if you want our vote, nominate people that have better positions. Nominate people that are not pro war, that are not uh, you know cr- crony capitalists to the tilt, uh, you know that are that are not just everything anti as anti libertarian as you can be. You know, I even said there's a possibility and and this is true. There's some possibility that I could have considered a vote for Bernie Sanders, depending on the scenario, because there's at least enough things that he's pretty okay on as opposed to Clinton, who's there's just not there's not a redeeming quality to be found with Hillary Clinton when it when it comes to libertarians, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, you got to earn a libertarian vote and maybe a libertarian candidate will do that. Maybe one of your mainstream candidates do it. But I think people are at least going to be aware now that you can't take it for granted. You know, or that you need to think about libertarians in some way, and I've heard a lot of that talk. So, eh, but when you combine that the, with with, um, go ahead, JB.
3: Now that you mention it, if you go like by step by step by policy position by policy position, Bernie Sanders is more of a libertarian than Hillary Clinton is. Well, sure, she edges I mean, him considerably. Granted, he's still. I, I think way Mussolini in the red. might be slightly yeah.
0: more of a libertarian than yeah, Hillary. is. Yeah, the bar's granted, pretty low. He
3: might still wait, be way in the red, but he's far further ahead than Hillary Clinton would be if we're going to look at policy.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. So if you want to be mad, by you I mean Hillary Clinton people, people that are afraid of Trump, Um, be mad at the DNC for from the beginning promoting Hillary Clinton. Uh, Be mad at the Clintons for pushing themselves upon us and using all their connections to try to do that. And these, this is where your your anger should be directed, not in people who could not stomach a vote for Hillary Clinton for many reasons. And I think that a lot of that, a lot of those Bernie supporters, it might sound crazy, but I, I mean, a lot of those Bernie supporters did go to Trump. They did because the, a lot, a lot of those Bernie supporters were. Very anti-establishment, very against the TPP, which Trump, even you know, Obama, has admitted is dead now because of Trump's election. I, I, to me, that's huge. That's massive. If Hillary Clinton won, the TPC would be alive and what, TPC, that I just call it? the TPP would be alive and well. If Hillary Clinton had just been nominated, and it would be probably passed in January, maybe not with the Republican Congress and all that, but if Hillary had her way, I have no doubt. Even though she took a position within this campaign, uh, I, I think we need to realize that, you know. And we're obviously we're getting we're getting off track of the Gary Johnson topic, but ironically right on to track uh, of election talk. Um, but I gotta quickly give my grade to Gary Johnson. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm gonna be a little bit nicer than you guys. I'm gonna give him a C minus. I still gotta give him minus <laughs> because look, we know we have people in our forum. I read an email from Austin Wilson a couple of weeks ago who found out about libertarianism through Gary Johnson, and I don't know if that's. How much of that is because Gary Johnson happens to have that – maybe he's mentioned the word twice, but – and how much of it is just the fact that he was somebody out there on TV that uh, was not Hillary and Trump? And I don't know. And, and and sadly, maybe maybe it's because Gary was with Bill Weld that he even got on TV in the first place. I hate to say it, but that might be the case if you believe – I know what Gary has been saying from the beginning – so I don't know how true it is, you know. Two governors sounds like a good marketing race, and they and they did get on TV more than I, you know, thought any libertarian candidate would. So, it's Mark, more. I
3: think our more our issues are more of what they were saying on TV. Mark, that's the only reason I gave him the D, though. <laughs> yeah, that got him up true. to the D. Yeah, yeah that's no. the reason I gave him the D. You're like we you're already that, C- in. For that We
0: already factored that into the curve, man.
3: Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I'm trying to you know put forth there. Right now, how points. does it get bumped up to a C minus? I'm know. pretty sure we all gave him a D because of that specifically. All right, I'll,
1: well, I'll tell you what three three Ds and a C minus. I think those were my exact grades my freshman year in college. So
3: <laughs> Gary's
1: not doing too bad,
3: and you turned out awesome, man. I so. did. Maybe he'll be okay. <laughs> well,
0: he's never going to run for office again. He already said so. Bye bye. I guess maybe he'll still be around making. Speeches, selling books. We know he's got a book coming out after the election. God knows what what insights you're going to get from the the post election Gary Johnson's book. But I guess we'll. Well, I I don't know if I'll find out. Gary Johnson. If you, I promise, I will read your book and tell everyone about it. If you come on the show, I, I'd still like to have the guy on. Why not? And now that he knows, he doesn't need to worry about you know not getting a libertarian nomination or anything like that because I'll because I'll attack him with with bake the cake questions. Well, don't worry about that, Gary. That's not what I'm here for. I just want to have a chat maybe sometime. Anywho. Now, moving along. I, I, I think you guys convinced me. I'm joining you. Screw it. Peer pressure. It's a D. You're right. You're right. Because everything I just that said. That was
1: definitely not coming on the show. You gave him a D.
0: <laughs> all right. Let, let's pivot to this election stuff. For, first of all, Odie and I, I think, both want to pat ourselves on the back just a little bit. I think we've been pretty much saying that we saw this coming about a year ago. I mean, when he was started sw- Sweeping through the primaries, I think, was you – know, it's a funny thing. He didn't even win the first primary in Iowa. But it, it did feel like the, the Trump momentum was picking up and becoming unstoppable uh, even before there was a first vote. And I, I think we both kind of saw this coming. At the same time, I mean, heck, even I've bought into the, the media smears of Trump. Not that I, I I don't think he's racist. I don't think he's a sexual assaulter. But I did think that their messaging was a, a f- so effective that it might be enough to, to, to cost him the election. It wasn't. Um, so everything we, we saw coming kind of did play out. And uh, so, Odie, what 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 really why did you see Trump coming? But and even knowing that, that you had felt this way for a long time, uh, were you still did you still feel a sense of surprise that, that it actually did happen and play out?
1: Well, uh, I think a little bit of both. Um, I think I first remember being confident in saying that Donald Trump was going to be the next president it was around the holidays last year, around Christmas time, sitting down with family, and everyone was kind of disillusioned with the whole uh, Republican and Democratic nominating process at that point in time. And I said, you know what? You know, I'm not backing Donald Trump. I'm not supporting him. I'm not going to vote for him. But I think he's going to easily win the, the Republican nomination. And he's going to go on to win the general election against Hillary Clinton because there's no way the Democrats were going to nominate Bernie Sanders, which I was right on that. And as we've talked about before, Mark, I think all of Not all of the credit, but a lot of the credit goes to uh, Scott Adams. We've been following Scott Adams' blog, and he's been pretty much outlining Donald Trump's persuasion techniques throughout this entire election. And he continues to outline how he thinks Donald Trump can use these persuasion, these manipulation techniques, really what they are, in order to um, unite the country and get people to forget about some of the more harsh things he said, some of the sexist things that he said, some of the things that can be interpreted to be racist, how he can get the people to forget about that and to unite around some other things. Um, so I would I would encourage people to continue continue to read or read for the first time if you haven't yet to read Scott Adams' blog. It's definitely a worthwhile, worthwhile read. Uh, one thing you, you did say, Mark, is that we did jump, I think we did both jump off about the same point in time and hesitate uh, around the uh, when Trump was accused of being uh, the whole Access Hollywood thing with being accused of sexual assault, and I, I think it's 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 important to note that the media was very effective in their messaging as painting Donald Trump as this this bigot, this sexist, this racist. Oh yeah, that, that's the um, only
0: reason I think he didn't win bigger.
1: Yeah, it, I, I, it would have been a huge landslide if they hadn't been so effective, and that's why the country is so divided right now. Why there's people out there, there's liberals out there right now. Who literally think I've heard people say this to me, real human beings, not on Facebook, say this to my face that if you voted for Donald Trump then you're endorsing racism, you're a bigot, and you're a terrible person. And they they can't get off that. They cannot get off that 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 logic. It's it's Kind of scary, actually. I
0: was actually told something today, and this was just because I hate being on this side of things where I end up defending Donald Trump. But I'm not really defending Donald Trump so much when I'm out there having conversations with people. I'm defending just like the truth. You know, I I want to criticize Donald Trump for all the many things I disagree with him on uh, policy wise. But when the only criticisms are not of that stuff and they're about just smears that I just don't see the reality of, uh, you know, I have to at least have that conversation. So I, I do find myself on that side of things. And I, I was having a conversation with someone today He said uh, this. I just kind of overheard this part before I got into it. But she said, you know, it, what what's the saddest part about this is how many of those people that voted for him don't realize that they're racist. Now, if you it's don't a- realize you're racist – I mean, I guess there are ways you could not realize you're racist if you – just, you know, you deny you're racist, but you're going around using the N word and saying that black should have less rights, but you're saying you're not racist. Okay. Then that's a weird disconnect, but they're saying that the mere fact you voted for this person means you are racist and therefore, and, and, but even though when they're claiming they're not and those people just must be too stupid and ignorant to know that they're racist. And this person was saying, look, man, I've been to a lot of those states. I trust me. I know they, they just don't know what they're doing. So the implication again, and, and what I'm trying to say is this is why you're losing. This is why you're losing this, this <laughs> argument or whatever, not with me, but you know, the greater <laughs> argument in society, because you're looking down on these people and you're telling them they're racist for voting against, for someone besides you. And I, a part of that is, like you said, uh, the effective messaging against Trump, but I mean, point me to r- actual racist things Donald Trump has said or done. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen them.
2: You know, one thing that I'm really surprised by is that the LGBT community thinks Trump is so anti-gay when he's, he's for gay marriage. He like held up a rainbow flag at one of his rallies. He said as much at uh, his, uh, when he won the primaries at the convention and he's going to be the first president ever going into office supporting gay marriage. I think it took Obama a little bit after that. He's going to be, I heard he's going to nominate Peter. I don't know how to say his last name. Peter Peter Teal for a, a position. So he'll be the first person to nominate uh an open gay person to one of these positions. And with the media, the way he portrays him is ridiculous.
0: Oh, he's also probably going to nominate Ben Carson. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, oh. and then, of well, course, the answer you're going to get is he's just doing this to try to dispel all the things people are saying. Like he really hates like I'm sure he really hates Ben Carson and Peter Thiel for being black and gay. But you know, just to dispel it, he's going to suck it up and, and, uh, and nominate him for the for very important positions. Come on.
2: I mean he he used to be a democrat. He grew up in New York City. I'm sure he's uh a little more worldly and open-minded than the media's given him credit for.
0: Yep, JB, what do you think about all this? Well, all right, do you so think, do you I, think Donald Trump's racist? I mean, do you think that 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 we're crazy for not seeing what other people are seeing? I mean,
3: I don't it, it it's it's hard for me to say. Um I definitely I'll just put it out there. I definitely don't agree with all this um liberal soul-searching that's going on and hand-wringing and, like, absurdity. But you have to admit the same thing happened when Obama got elected in 2008, which a lot of people are conveniently ignoring, at least from the other side of the aisle.
0: I I uh, don't—maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I am conveniently forgetting or something. I don't remember— Actual rioting. I don't. I'm sure there are plenty of conservatives well, I don't saying, "Not my president," rioting, and stuff like
3: that. But there was definitely school walkouts. Were and... there
0: schools walking out? I mean, in LA,
3: this is the, the third day in a row. Last weekend, well, this week that. Well, people... and in
2: Maryland today.
3: Well, Republicans and conservative conservatism is not really the purview of like young people in schools and colleges and the type of people who would do things like that. But the type of people, I guess, who are more, I guess, predominantly in line with the right. They definitely came out in force and protest and had their signs and pretty much threatened Obama and his entire family's lives when he became elected. These things happened. You know, they definitely did.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's extremist people that are racist that support almost any candidate that you can find that are going to go out and say and do stupid shit, you know, when stuff like this happens. But uh, there's extremists and then trying to say because of these extremists this person is racist and therefore every single person who voted for them is racist therefore i'm just having the revelation is what is how these these people are seeing it that half the country is racist and i live in it and i'm of a different race and that's why i'm so appalled and afraid and all that and i guess if you really well, do live in that reality i can see why you'd be afraid
3: well mark i ha- i like i said i don't condone it i guess i don't understand it really because i'm me myself being a minority, you know, I'm not. Afraid you mean as of a, a Frenchman,
1: Trump. right?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know how much Americans hate Frenchmen, so I'm really on the radar right now,
1: <laughs> like a double
0: minority. Donald yeah, Trump's anti anti French rhetoric is is just hit too hard.
3: I'm not afraid of a Donald Trump presidency because I'm not afraid of the unknown in general. I'm more of a wait and see type of person. If he starts doing things that seem, you know, a bit on the fascist side, maybe. My concern will be raised, but right now, nothing has happened whatsoever, whatsoever, so I don't feel any fear. But if I was a Muslim American or something like that, and the type of rhetoric that he said on the campaign trail, which, for the record, I don't believe that any of that is going to be put into policy, but he still said it. I'm not Muslim. I don't know what it feels like to be Muslim in this country after 9-11, after they being one of the most maligned groups of people in this country for almost 15 years now. I don't know what that feels. And when the president of the United States says the types of things that he says about banning Muslim immigration because none of them apparently can be trusted— I don't really know what it feels to be in a situation well, like that. Even that, so that is
0: even that is a distortion of, of what Trump said, though, and I don't agree with what Trump said. But what he said was, I think we should halt Muslim immigration from high risk countries until we figure things
1: out. And, and that's and that's that not entirely. T- but I, I I gotta disagree with you, Mark. Okay. I think at I, first I could be wrong. I thought that's what, at I was first. He, he's a negotiator, remember? So at first he said, uh, I'm pretty sure he said, ban all Muslim immigration, and I then he was, and then he walked it back. I'm said, pretty yeah. sure. Now
3: we gotta and look he, for the. Then he backtrack because apparently that's ridiculous, you know. You know, Muslim immigrants from all sorts of places, like a Bosnian or something like that, is not really a high risk person to give a visa to go into the United States. So when you hear that type of rhetoric, and even in past in its history, even before the campaign, you're you were asking me, is Donald Trump a racist? Honestly, in my heart, I don't think he is. I just think he is a average seven-year-old white man who grew up in the United States. He's not overtly racist. He certainly doesn't think he's racist, but he harbors the racial biases that his culture, that the culture he was raised in, kind of like imbued in his brain. You know, even like the Justice Department sued him twice for racial discrimination in housing when he was building when he was building apartments in New York City. He has things on his record that someone could take and say, well, he's a racist but
2: didn't didn't he try to open clubs and stuff though that minorities were allowed to go to because they weren't at the time like back in like the 70s and stuff
3: this i don't don't know i don't know anything about that but
0: it does seem like the kind of thing a businessman would do (laughs) if they seem if they if the 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 color they care about the most is green
3: yeah i mean not necessarily you you guys are taking you guys are really taking racial discrimination um very lightly.
0: No, no, no. He's He said like, how he's saying he was opening up a club. Well, we go, go. Yeah. I'm like
2: 95% certain. I'm not this. discounting
0: I I, the, the I, housing thing. I don't know. anything I wish, about I, had,
2: it. I wish I had the facts up, but I know there's somewhere, I think in Florida where there were clubs where I don't know if it was blacks and Hispanics weren't allowed in. He opened up one where they could go. Um, I, I think it was just one of the things he pointed out trying to show that in his past, like, no, I've been not racist. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I wish well, I would I Donald hate not Trump having the facts and just
3: uh Donald Trump doesn't need to prove to me that he's not racist. I know I know he's a businessman and and like I was trying to say with the 1973 case despite actually like being a black man and experiencing racism in my own life I can actually put myself in another person's shoes in 1973 as being a housing developer and I know that the The atmosphere that was in New York State and New York City in particular, as far as housing was concerned, the least minorities you have in your neighborhood, the higher the property value you have for your places. And racially discriminating against people in 1973 was practically good business practice. Now, can I, is that abhorrent? Of course it is. But looking at Donald Trump and his whole like CV of who he is and what he tries to do, I don't know if that was actually a factor of him not actually wanting black people to live in the places that he builds, which honestly, I feel like he couldn't even care about because he's not like he has to live there himself. Or was was he making a business decision here to try to increase the popularity value of the developments that he was setting in the city? I'm, I feel like as much as some things when I, I hear them and I read about them, they might hurt viscerally. I try to like bottle that for a little second and try to de- con- deconstruct it somewhat in a rational way and try to at least give people the benefit of the doubt as far as I can stretch it. And I can easily see that being a business decision as opposed to a racial decision. Yeah. As apologists as that might sound to be. And I kind of want to kick myself in the face for saying it. But these are the types of things that go in my head and they, they kind of try to I try to always try to be, you know, as neutral as I can in any situation, because I feel that's the position where I can learn the most.
1: It's it's kind of it's kind of interesting, and I'm not sure if there's anything to it, but you would think, you know, this obviously the Justice Department was suing Donald Trump for that. It wasn't really aggressively pursued and investigated by the news media right now, looking back in hindsight on it. It was mentioned during a couple of debates but it wasn't really a big a big story against Trump that I can remember. I don't remember seeing any, you know, half hour, um, you know, specials on looking into into this event. Which I mean, it, if if in fact Donald Trump was actively not trying to make it so black people could not live in his building, that's a pretty huge thing. So you would think the news media, if they had some proof on that, would would focus on it. But
3: well, he was never convicted. It was settled out of court. So. Without an actual conviction. But true, there was two separate cases brought up against him, against the Justice Department. And it is the Justice Department, after all. I feel like there's got to be a little smoke and fire for the Justice Department to be involved in something like this.
0: Or he pissed off That's, the wrong connected politician. I mean, yeah. complete speculation, of course.
3: Complete speculation. Maybe they had it out for him. I don't know. But I'm just saying it happened. And I'm just trying to explain to ev- to you and everyone who's listening that I can at least empathize with some people who might be concerned that that rhetoric might not just be hot air.
0: For the record, I do have the actual original quote about Muslim immigration. And he did say um, he called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what is going on. So you're right. And I'm right. It's more extreme than what I said. But he also said until we figure Mm -hmm. this thing out. So and that that was that the wizard at anything,
3: work.
0: Though. That no, I know exactly,
3: exactly. And like Odia said, a, it's which, like I said, is a ban on Muslims.
0: Yeah, no, that, no that's you're, you're, right. you're
1: right. You're right. And it, it was it that. was the it was the wizard at work. It was it was a problem. It was right after a terrorist attack. It was was right after which which terrorist attack was that? I have a terrible memory. Was that uh San Bernardino?
0: San Bernardino.
1: So it was after San Bernardino. Well, it might have
0: been Paris. It was it was both around that time. I mean, they had both happened pretty recently.
1: And uh, yeah, people were looking for a solution. How do you stop terrorism? And he gave, "Here's my solution. Anyone can understand this." People, oh wow, he solved the problem. And they said, well, I'll support Trump." And I mean, that's kind of putting it simply, saying that that's kind of people might hear that and assume that all of his supporters are stupid. But I, I don't think that's I don't think that's accurate. I, I think when you're in that position, and the way Scott Adams talks about it is. Just simple solutions that people can understand easily, <clears throat> and it was enough to for people to get behind him on that. And then after you know people get behind him, he he walks it back to make it seem less aggressive and less uh, really less uh, abhorrent. But uh, yeah, I, I think the interesting thing about this is not I don't know if it's interesting is the right word unfortunate. Um, is that we've spent, I don't know, 20 minutes here talking about these things about Donald Trump, racism, bigotry, um, and we're not talking at all about how we think he's going to actually be as a president.
0: They did and, it to us, too. They wrapped us up in all this yeah. <laughs> in all this rhetoric.
1: <laughs> but I, I'll, just, I'll just say a couple of things, and then you guys can you know, chime in, too. But personally, I think Donald Trump is going to be a pretty liberal president. And I think if a lot of the liberals and you don't mean classically progress-
0: liberal, like a, like some libertarians might.
1: Like. <laughs> no, not not classically liberal. He's going to be a big government guy. I think there's going to be a lot of infrastructure projects. There's going to be a lot of spending. You're going to hear Donald Trump saying, "I've done construction all my life. I know how to run these big projects, and so we'll build them the best. They'll be the the best projects. Most beautiful projects, and they'll last forever." And you hear a lot of that. A lot of that huffing and puffing. But it's, it's just going to be more big government. And I think it's not going to be much different than what Obama did when he came in to try to stimulate the economy with a lot of shovel-ready projects, just different terminology and different selling. So I think if liberals kind of opened their eyes, that might realize, oh, my gosh, they're doing the exact same thing. I don't think we're going to see Obamacare repealed. I think it's really too late to repeal it. Um, I mean, not too late to repeal it as in it couldn't be repealed. But I think repealing it, Donald Trump, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a good political decision because there'd be a lot of blowback, a lot of people without health insurance. and It would just be a catastrophe for him. And he obviously would never get reelected again. So I think it'll be tweaked. Maybe they'll make it legal across to sell insurance across state lines and things like that. But I think for the most part, it'll be pretty liberal. I don't think there's going to be a wall. He's already kind of saying. You know, Maybe some of it will be a fence and parts and it's, – it's, yeah, it's not going to be a wall. But what, what do you guys think?
2: I don't think we're going to see much different from uh, President Trump than we've seen from other presidents in the past. I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a lot of government solutions. He's probably going to be pretty shocked when uh, trying to get the wheels of government turning isn't the same as uh, running a business. There's uh, yeah. going to be a lot of roadblocks in his way or – He's not going to be able to get things done like he's used to.
0: You can't just call um, downstairs and you know get get a couple things done.
2: I'm going to take a wait and see policy, but I am concerned with the people he surrounds himself with, like Mike Pence, Rudy Giuliani, you know General Flynn, all those people. But he he has said some good things that I'm hoping will come true. Probably not, but maybe in some fashion. But we're going to have I'm sure lots of episodes going after everything he's done wrong, which will be coming soon.
0: All right, well, I'm going to give my biggest hope, and maybe we can all kind of do this real quick. Uh, I want to give my biggest hope and my biggest fear of Trump. My biggest hope, and obviously trying to stay realistic too, my biggest hope is he pretty much governs like Bill Clinton. Now, it might be a weird thing to hear a libertarian say. I'm just trying to be realistic. I I don't think he's going to, you know govern like a libertarian, like a small government person. So I hope that he doesn't govern like a socialist. You know, I'm trying to find a realistic middle ground of how I think he actually will govern. And I think he'll try to form alliances and try to make deals and, you know, do what he does in that way. And I, I, I don't think he's a, a slash and burn conservative who's going to try to tear everything down. He's just, he's this is not who he is. It's not uh, what his politics have ever been. Uh, I think he's going to probably. My my hope is that he's going to at least be better on some of the things that we have praised him on, and that is his rhetoric in regards to foreign policy. Supposedly he had a conversation with Putin today, um, and he, he he wants to you know work with him to combat ISIS. Now that might sound like more militarism, and maybe it is, but it's better than war with Russia in Syria, which was Hillary Clinton's policy. So that gives me a little bit of hope. And and the other thing that gives me hope is that you know, Obama has already said, like I said earlier, TPP is dead. All right. Well, that gives me hope too. I think the TPP should be dead. Um, what, what I fear is that, you know, all the things people are afraid of become true somehow, you know? Who knows? I mean, maybe he is a, uh, a secret Muslim or maybe not so secret, depending on who you talk to. Uh, Mexican-hating, uh, Muslim-hating uh, dictator, and he's going to start doing a bunch of terrible stuff, and and even if he does, like, 1% of what his rhetoric said, that's going to be enough for people to latch on to and, and continue these protests. And look, I agree with the right of protest when there's injustices going on, uh, or when you need to speak out, and I, I don't want to it's weird coming across on like the anti-protest side because I don't, I don't want to really be an anti-protester because I think the protest is one of the, the best rights we have. Um, but when you're simply protesting the results of an election, uh, especially from a side that was hyperbolic over the, the idea that Trump said he'd have to take a look at whether he would agree with the results or, or whatever, these same people are, 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 and I don't want to say these same people painting a broad brush. Many people are violently protesting this. Many people are, are, are rioting. I mean, they arrested a hundred something people in, in Portland. Uh, that's just inappropriate, ineffective. And Howie might even be want to give us uh, some theories in, in a bit about why this is all happening. Uh, Odie, I think you have to hop off pretty soon. So I'm going to just pivot and let you answer this question next in case you got to head out.
1: Yeah, I think I probably agree with you on your on your hope and fear. Definitely hopeful of the foreign policy. Hopeful that, you know, I was pretty sure if Hillary did somehow win, that we were could be looking at a, a World War III with Russia, with just the her rhetoric towards Russia trying to influence the election. So it's good to see Donald Trump talking to Putin. It's good to see some diplomacy there. Hopefully there'll be more of that abroad. Uh, being a businessman like Donald Trump is, Um, I don't think he wants to squander U.S. resources abroad, at least hopefully not. Hopefully the people he surrounds himself with don't convince him otherwise. So hopefully we do see a different foreign policy, a different foreign policy from the supposed foreign policy of peace from Barack Obama, which has just been the continuance of war, which has been very, very disappointing. That was one of the hopes I had for Obama going in is that we'll see a little bit of a different foreign policy, which did not materialize. So hopefully that changes with Trump. Fear. I'm very fearful of who Trump picks to put in his cabinet. I saw an interview recently with Rudy Giuliani. I think it was on, I think it was on Fox News. I forget which which show it was, but. Um, I I didn't know this, but Rudy Giuliani is hanging his hat now on being some cybersecurity expert, and he was saying that his hope is that he's not sure if he's going to serve in Trump's cabinet. He's he's happy what he's doing, but either way, he hopes that he's going to find the solution for cybersecurity. And I'm pretty sure Rudy Giuliani doesn't know how to turn a freaking computer on, so I'm not sure how any of that's happening, and it probably involves uh –
0: Odie, I think I can answer your, your queries here. Uh, I just saw Rudy Giuliani talking about how he runs a cybersecurity consulting firm. So I think it's pretty obvious why he's interested in in having a role in cybersecurity in the Trump oh, administration.
1: Ex- ex- exactly. And I'm sure his cybersecurity firm is just going to take Top over notch, the United States fantastic internet. fantastic yeah.
0: cybersecurity from these guys, but let this, me
1: tell you.
2: Do you know if he's hiring, Mark? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You, could, you she, could be you could be like a mole, howie. We'll send you yeah, into yeah. the Rudy Giuliani cybersecurity Maybe firm and you can just tweet to him, tweet to Donald yeah. Trump,
0: ask him if he's a patriot from up. the
1: inside. But yeah, that's that's my fear. Giuliani, guys like John Bolton and and Pence also, there's some some pretty bad things with Mike Pence. Not that there's not bad things about Trump. There really are, but I think Trump is he's he's a populist and he's going to try to remain popular. So hopefully that does Sort of like you said, Mark, it's weird to say, but turn him into a Bill Clinton who's just trying not to screw things up too bad. But there is the also there's probably going to be a huge economic collapse at some point. So God knows what he'll do then.
0: I'll tell you what, I don't I don't think he's cheating on Melania in the White House. I know <laughs> I know the uh, the Access Hollywood tape might have some people question it otherwise, but I think he's got a he's got a good thing going there. It's not Hillary. That's all I'm saying. Melania is not Hillary. (laughs) That's all I'm saying, and I'll move along. (laughs) Howie, hopes, fears, what you got?
1: Oh,
2: I guess my biggest hopes off of some things he said is – and these things probably won't come true, but I would love to see a President Trump pull the troops out of the Middle East – Um, For For real. All of them. Not like with this whole
0: like, you know, we we pull two out and we act like we left and then send some advisors and all that.
2: At the very least, not have such a hyper interventionist policy, um, which we would have had in spades if Hillary had won. Um, I I wish that Trump would remove marijuana from all federal scheduling and let states decide. I think that could be a huge thing. Who knows? Maybe Obama would do it before he gets out of office to uh, take that claim to fame from Trump. Um, I'd like to see him fix the VA and he has also mentioned auditing the fed before. I I doubt he would actually do it, but that would be amazing to see too. Those, those would be my hopes for a president Trump. My biggest fears are how he's going to be on civil liberties, like his support for stop and frisk, his support for no fly, no buy. Um, you know, just Without even trial or anything, saying we should execute people like Snowden or um, oh what are some more examples?
0: I wonder if he'll pardon Julian Assange some the, just for helping some, him some out. Some of so
2: much. It, some of his things he said against like free speech, and he's going to start like have passed new libel laws for the media. And um, I I just I'm not very hopeful on c- civil rights for uh, President Trump. I don't know. I'll wait and see though.
0: Yeah, we shall. JB,
3: what else you got? Um, I really have to go down the line of what Howie said. My biggest fear with Donald Trump is not any, like, far-right. Maybe in the case of far-right, my biggest concern with him is furthering the police state, as far as I'm concerned. He seems like the type of candidate who maybe, if not himself, want to push for more surveillance, more strengthening of the current police state we have, but he'll certainly go along with it because— He feels like maybe that's what his base might want. Civil liberties is a big issue with me when it comes to Donald Trump. But as far as all the more inflammatory things, you know, because most people, you don't hear much news coverage about civil liberties being trampled on. It's mostly about what we've been talking about previously. He's already backed out on so many things that he's already said about building the wall all the way. He's talking about fences. And we'll we'll see if those fences even come up. And about repealing Obamacare, saying he likes certain parts of it and he'll basically try to tweak it instead of completely repeal and replace like he was promising. And even like prosecuting Hillary Clinton, like having the Justice Department prosecute Hillary as soon as he becomes president. He was backing out on that in this 60 Minutes interview because, as everyone knows, they're friends, so he's not going to send his friend to jail. I certainly I certainly want to send you to jail, Mark.
0: Oh, so I thanks, very much
3: doubt. Yeah, Even if I we ran like, a
0: bitter campaign against each other? <laughs> yeah.
3: I don't care how much corruption and crime you're involved with, Mark. I would never be the one to put you in the slammer. So you can rest assured about that. Well,
0: that is good to know. And, I will and note that.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that's the same thing with, with Hillary and Trump here. It's not going to happen. So yeah. civil liberties is high on my concern list, like increasing surveillance and... Drones, I'm not certain about his foreign policy. like 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 everybody was kind of worried about that. He has no record in public office. We have no idea how he's going to react. He seems to be okay with Russia. but I'm kind of concerned that he might go with the status quo of what what people call American exceptionalism. He might not be so quick to um, relieve us of the role of being the world's police force. That's how I see it. There's Sometimes I feel like us as Americans are in a position of dam- damned if we do, damned if we don't. If We let a whole place blow up and we don't do anything about it. People criticize us. And if we intervene and we make mistakes, people criticize us. But of course, we're going to make mistakes because we're humans. We're not perfect. But I, I feel my gut tells me that he won't deviate from that role for the U.S. as much as some of us might hope.
0: Well, that, that's going to be the most interesting one to watch, I think, because I think, look, Walter Block, Libertarians for Trump, that was started solely because they felt that the foreign policy issue was the most important, and it was the one area out of all the candidates a- across the Democrat and Republican Party that Donald Trump was noticeably and considerably better than everybody else on, uh, based on his rhetoric. Uh, so on one side, and, and also I kind of agree, you know what Odie said earlier, He's a businessman, and and I I think he does actually get annoyed that the U.S. spent like two trillion dollars in Iraq, and all, the only result was death and destruction and ISIS. Like I think that actually is something that bothers him. Uh, maybe not from a moral perspective, but from that like tycoony businessman. Why would you waste all this money? So I hope that at least that like money guy in him. Also doesn't want to go doing that stuff anymore. If even if it's not for some grand moral reason, even if it's just for not wanting to waste trillions of dollars, uh, I, I want to really believe that that that's true. Um, at the same time, you know, look who's in his ear. Like we said earlier, Rudy Giuliani, uh, this admiral, admiral, not admirable, Admiral Flynn character, who's I General guess, Flynn. General Flynn. Sorry, <laughs> I don't want to get that one wrong. <clears throat> Get in trouble real quick with these these admirals and generals. And
3: he's already he's already elected the chair of the Republican National Committee as his joint chiefs of chat, um, previous
0: chief of chat. I like that, chief of. Did staff. I say? <laughs> no, I, I like staff. your way better.
3: <laughs> staff, yeah, 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 chafe, joint joint chiefs of chafing. <laughs> and you know, that might he's be how gonna, it works out. He's going to steer towards the status quo. And I really have no doubts about that. I don't think we've seen America's Mussolini quite yet.
0: No, and I think that was That's really, what Mike I think bringing in Rince Priebus is really his way of saying, hey, hey, don't freak out, Republicans. I know we had a crazy campaign. I know he just ran roughshod all you over you and called you all idiots. But, you know, Renz Priebus, who's really is Paul Ryan's boy. I think it's also kind of an olive branch to Paul Ryan. Then again, two months from now, we might not have Paul Ryan anymore. I don't know. Anything can really happen with this. Um, but I think it's his way of saying, Hey, Republicans, I got your guy here. You all know him. He's my guy now, too. I'll work with you. And you now Rens Priebus, which is his job as the RNC chair, you know, he worked with Trump, even probably with a lot of people in his ears, telling him to go to hell, telling him that Trump's a disaster, telling him he's got a distance of him himself. Well, look, he, The guy has a job. It's literally a job he's hired for as the head of the Republican National Committee, and that job is to promote the Republican ticket. And I think he put all that aside and just did what he had to do, and he helped Trump, and Trump, as a businessman – wanted to reward him, I think, for that. And that's also why you see this Steve Bannon guy who was helping Trump in his final days with strategy. I think that's this is Trump's style. He's always talked about how he gets revenge against people that screw him over, and I think he equally rewards people that he sees as as helping him. I don't think these either of those appointments are ideological at all, because I don't think Trump is that ideological.
3: Mark, Mark, you don't think there's any red flags about the the Stephen Bannon as chief strategist or Uh, Uh, much like whatever they want to call it much like with trump red flags as far as foreign policy is concerned oh
0: it's foreign policy sure because because they're they're the sure absolutely with foreign policy i thought you were going to go the the racist anti-semitic route because to me that's just more fluff that i haven't seen actual evidence on but i've been seeing that the last couple days like i've seen this headline literally trump just appointed a white nationalist to and I i think that stuff is like going maybe he is a white nationalist but i haven't seen Evidence that actually shows me that. Uh, foreign policy, sure, that stuff worries me entirely. But you know, Bannon's role is is strategy, and hopefully, uh, the strategy doesn't involve killing a bunch of people around the world. I mean, it's it's it, there's there's stuff that worries me about all these guys. Believe me. Um, but I think all we can do right now, the thing is with Trump, he's the most difficult person to predict because we've never had a Donald Trump before. He, I mean, this is a guy who's been a, a, he, he was part of the Reform Party. He tried to run for president like 20 years ago and kind of gave up on it as an independent. Then he basically supported Democrats all his life and then kind of became a Republican like four or five years ago, called out Barack Obama on his birth certificate. And now he's the president elect. I mean, it's really just a, it's a crazy thing. It's, and it's, I think so many people are having problems like wrapping their minds around the fact that this is reality. And like we, we can circle back and talk about earlier. I mean, like, All the people we know out there that are losing their minds, quite literally. I mean, people at work telling me they, they literally never considered this possibility. Like, that's how blown away they are because, you know, like we were saying, when you're, when you've been convinced that this person represents only white nationalism and, and, and it's so obvious to you that it must be obvious to everybody else that you suddenly think that, that people just went and voted for a white nationalist who wants to, you know, deport all the Mexicans and ban all the Muslims and, you know, he said enough stuff to give people some reason to worry about that stuff. It just, there is a cognitive disconnect though, because Obama just, just deported more Mexicans than anybody in the history of the United States combined. Any president combined, combined, combined. And I don't hear anybody worried about Obama being a racist against Muslims. Or, I'm mean, sorry, against Mexicans. Obama has already done what people are concerned Donald Trump is going to do. And I think there's just a, there's a real disconnect between the headlines and what you read, what they read in, in, on, on the Huffington Post and, and reality. And, and hopefully what this does, my, again, my hope thing with this is hopefully this doesn't lead just violence, needless violence. That's the fear end, I guess, of what could come with these Trump protests. Uh, my hope is that they, they, they calm down and these same people that are upset and worried focus on Donald Trump and, and, and watch out for civil liberties abuses. And then libertarians can join with them if and when those things occur. Howie, do you have any words about the, uh, protest before you go? I know we were talking about this a little earlier, so, uh, I know you have some, maybe thoughts. I don't want to call them your conspiracy theories, but it's, it's some stuff you've been putting out. It's not my
2: conspiracy theory, but it seems we've seen from, you know, Project Veritas and different things that some of these protesters and people causing violence are actually paid agitators and not like organic or upset people. Um, and you know, I, I don't see the proof in it yet, but there's a lot of theories about George Soros funding a lot of these groups, and he's been accused of trying to destabilize other countries. And uh, a lot of people think that, you know, the globalists aren't going to let Trump get away with the things he's been saying. They're they're not gonna let their globalist agenda agenda be sidetracked. Um and uh, starting to sound well, a little that,
0: Alex Jonesy here, Howie. The globalist yeah, agenda. I, <laughs>
2: I was reading this article today on Lou Rockwell about how they're calling it his. Uh, you know, the call it revolutions. This is the purple revolution. They're saying because that the day after Hillary lost, her and Bill show up at this event both wearing purple. I saw that. I
0: noticed. I yeah. actually noticed that because I saw a picture with them and they were all wearing this purple. And I was, I was trying to figure out if there was any significance to that. And you think there is?
2: And they said, they said it's, it's supposed to show like the mixing of red and blue because we need to unite together now but other people (laughs) but other people think there's a more sinister thing this will be america's purple revolution um we'll see hopefully not well maybe they
0: mean everyone needs to unite against trump and then that's that's how they see it i don't know
2: probably um one thing i did want to mention just about the election in general is i mean i think it was pretty clear to a lot of us, even early on, that this was an election of the outsider. It's why Trump and Sanders are doing so well. I think the biggest loser and the biggest mistake, you know, isn't even what the Libertarian Party did, but that Rand Paul tried to just kowtow to the establishment and the year of the outsider tried to make himself seem as establishment as possible, when Rand could have been, I think, our best chance to move the country in a libertarian direction. and. I don't know. Hopefully there's some lessons learned. I mean, he doesn't have to become his father. He can, you know, still be Ron Paul White. But people are sick of the status quo and the establishment. I I mean, I don't think he would run. No one ever usually runs against an incumbent president. But maybe eight years from now, he'll be back in the game. Um, I think he has a much better sh- shot as a Republican than whoever libertarians are going to come up with.
0: So. Let's think about this for a second. I I mean, obviously, we don't even know how Trump's going to govern at all, and we we made some predictions, but could you see, if Trump is really a disaster, and I mean disaster, the public hates him, his poll numbers plummet, he's got like a 20% approval rating, could you see him being primaried in four years, especially considering all of... Uh, you know, all his controversies and conflicts with with other Republicans, uh, you know, throughout this time, you, you know, there's guys like Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, that would probably jump at the opportunity if they thought they could actually take him out. Um, obviously, the flip side of being that no one ever does this. No one ever tries to primary an incumbent president. It just doesn't happen I, because the I, mean, control I it.
2: I think that Obama and Bush were disasters. And I think Trump's going to be a similar disaster. It would have to be a spectacular
0: well, Bush was... Tra- tra- a spectacular
2: train wreck of, like, all these kind of things that the media's been saying actually you, you coming You say true. they're
0: disasters, but, like, the public didn't see them as disasters. Right. Ma- maybe right. they kind of did. They-, they were probably split, uh, similar to the lines of the election, but, like... You know, none of them had had, you know, I think Bush is looked upon less fondly, way less fondly now. But even at the time of his reelection, you know, he was being criticized over the Iraq war. But it, it wasn't seen in retrospect as, as quite the disaster it is now. Uh, and, and obviously we've been critics of Obama, but I, I think he's been fairly popular. So I, I'm not even saying a situation with either of them. I'm saying everyone if knows a, he's, if it's he's a it's an absolute disaster.
2: complete train wreck and the, the general public views it as a disaster, uh, you know, I guess we would most presidents But it's possible. It's probably smarter for Rand to wait eight years, though. I
0: don't think it should be Rand. I I mean, if if it happens, I want it to be someone I also don't like so they can just destroy each other.
2: (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah. One thing I'd like to thank uh, Trump for is destroying the Hillary and Bush dynasties in one election. Congratulations, sir. If if you do nothing else positive – you have my debt of gratitude for that.
0: And I wrote an article, I'll link to it, uh, Dark Clouds and Silver Linings, of the 2016 election. That was one of my silver linings. If not, I mean, we were told for like a year before we even started primaries, this was the Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton election. And boy, oh boy, did anything sound more terrible than that. And Trump destroyed them both. Trump took out Jeb Bush, I mean, targeted him. I mean, just obliterated him. I don't think he'll hold any office again. And uh I mean, I sure as hell don't think The Clintons are coming back. I mean, obviously they're so connected to many people in politics that they'll probably have their hands somewhere, somewhere dirty. No puns intended here, but you know, they're, they're not in the presidential seat for the next eight years. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I say with some hesitation because we haven't seen what that other thing is in Trump yet. But I mean, these are people that should not have been rewarded with the White House. So I think it's a positive thing that they weren't. The only question is if how how bad the alternative is going to be.
3: JB, last thoughts. Me, well, I'll start off with a potential 2020 run for Rand Paul, and I don't think he's the guy that we need to hitch our wagons on personally, not because of who he is, um, policy-wise. If, if, which is the best way I can say it. Um, I'm not that old, but I've lived through enough presidential votes to come to the conclusion that. It's a popularity contest, even more so now in this new 21st century. I know I'm aging myself when I say that social media world. It's a popularity contest. And I don't think Rand Paul is fiery and or, you know, like he doesn't he doesn't incite people. It doesn't inspire people like his dad did, even George W. Bush, he doesn't get people out of their seats like the people who have been elected to be president of the United States for my entire lifetime have. That's basically why Bill Clinton beat George H.W. Bush, because he was boring. And Bill Clinton was awesome and young. He played the sax and he fooled around and people liked him. I don't think anybody likes Rand Paul. (laughs) And until we get to the point where the president isn't picked based on popularity, he has no shot. And hitching our wagon on him is a lost cause. And and when I say this, it, it pains me inside because I wish things, I wish life was based on, you know, facts and reality and reason. But it's not. That's the conclusion I've come to. It's really not. Policy and reason, and who would be the best person for the job, I feel rarely ever factors into the the overall outcome of these types of elections. And the more people you you have voting, the more likely it's going to happen. So I never see Rand Paul sitting.
0: If that's
2: as true, president of United States. we better get a Vince Vaughn running as Libertarian.
3: There's no if; it's true,
0: and Donald Trump knows it, and that's why he's the president or the president-elect. Donald Trump knows that you don't win based on reason. That's why you know he, he says a bunch of stuff in the campaign and you already see him walking it back because he never held positions. He never really held positions in his heart and his mind. I'm sure there are some positions he's serious about. I I have no reason to believe he's not really against the TPP. Um but I mean in general, he said things to inspire emotion, to inspire emotion in the electorate to get them to go vote for him, not to not so they could read a three-page policy, three-page policy stuff is like 60, 100,000 pages, not so they could inspire them to read policy positions and think deeply about the issues. No, he inspired them to do one thing, vote for him. And he did that with rhetoric because, and look, it's not like he he knows something other politicians don't. They know too. They know exactly too. That's why Hillary had this whole messaging, messaging campaign against him to make him out as a, a racist and a sexual assaulter and all this stuff. I mean, every single politician does the same thing. The difference is, they're doing it on a checkerboard and Trump's playing 3d chess and he's so much better than them than them at this game. And people have been denying this for years or not years, but the last year or so. And you know, Scott Adams has been pointing this out and Odie and I try to point it out to people when he does something and it, it doesn't make seem to make sense, but then his poll numbers go up. Well, it's not like, it's not random. It's not an accident. It's because he gets this and he's a master at it. And in a way it's impressive because because it's it's just amazing that this guy who has no political experience could be so much better at politics than everybody else. In a way, it's scary because someone that has this kind of powers of persuasion, well, <laughs> could be used that that could be used for evil. Obviously, we've seen many very persuasive leaders that knew how to guide populations to do as they please, uh, turn out pretty badly in history. So. You know, I, I've never said Trump is literally Hitler, but that's what other people believe. And the first signs that he because people have been so primed to believe that the first signs of anything that you could even point to as as signs that this guy might be a, a Mussolini, a fascist, a Hitler, whatever, is going to be jumped on. So and hopefully that's a good thing, because hopefully people are, are are primed to watch out for that. But I mean, his powers of persuasion and Odie kind of said it before. We call them persuasion. Scott Adams calls it persuasion. It's manipulation. And that's it's a scarier word, I think, than persuasion, but that's really what it is. He's a mapster manipulator, and um you yeah, know, that's scary, period. So uh, the, the possibilities are endless. I hope he uses his his wizardry powers for good, um, but they could very well be used for the opposite. So we'll just have to see how things play out, guys. And thank you all for joining me, Odie. I hope you're enjoying feeding your young your young child. I know she was waiting for that food, uh, for <laughs> almost sitting through a whole podcast to get her bottle or whatever it is kids eat. And uh, thank you guys for joining me. I know it's been a, an emotionally draining week. Um, I didn't think I'd be emotional about the election, and I, I really wasn't until. Until confronted with so much honestly hate and anger i had people mad at me for voting for gary johnson in california like my vote had no effect on this election people think i'm part of the problem so people are are putting their anger in all sorts of crazy places i do hope that this stuff dies down and we can return to a rational dialogue and one that we here at lions of liberty can steer towards the ideas of liberty that's why we do this program that's why we've been doing this show for over three years now and we've only just begun so i want to encourage you guys listening right now share this program with a friend. Go ahead and leave us that rating, that five-star rating and that great review on iTunes. Like I know you've been just itching to do. Support our sponsors. Um, shop through our Amazon link. The holiday season's coming up. LionsofLiberty.com slash Amazon. Anything you buy through there, we get a little kickback, and that'll help us expand the show. And we have some serious plans uh, to do just that, to do more stuff for you and, and do some interesting things. I'm just going to leave it at that um, in the new year. So... Give us a little time to unwind for the election and and let us uh, get things moving. And we, we plan to keep this liberty train going and roaring and just, you know, keeping things, keeping this conversation alive. So I, I get that sometimes around election season. You know, when people think that I'm just talking about politics because it's election season, and they're like, oh, so what are you going to do after the election? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I going to do? I don't stop. This has never stopped for us. I've been doing this for long before we even had a website and a podcast. So nothing's going to change in that regard. We will be watching out. and We'll be advancing the ideas of liberty each and every week, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, here at Lions of Liberty. Gentlemen, if you don't mind enjoying me for a little goodbye to everybody, I just want to encourage everybody to do one more thing while they await their next episode, which is Felony Friday, this coming Friday with John Odermatt. Until then, folks, live long and live
3: Live free. free. i really got to work on that timing. I think we we, we got to actually practice it now.
0: I think part of the charm is that it's always slightly uncoordinated.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I see it. Fair enough. <laughs>